Well, today we're starting a new message series called Jesus Offers Hope. And so we want to ask ourselves, what is hope? Now, a general definition of hope is an expectation of something good. Uh, we're expecting something good to happen in the future. In the Bible, hope is defined as a confident, sure expectation of divine saving actions. We're confident that God is going to move in a situation. God is going to move in our lives. God is going to move in the future. And we're confident of that. We have an expectation he's going to do that. Now, one element of confusion when we use the word hope today is the way we use it in ordinary language. So I might say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Right? That would be, we say things like that. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Now, first of all, that kind of hope is not a confident expectation, is it? It's more like a wish. When we say, I hope something's going to happen, we say, I, I wish something happens. And that's not the same thing. Wishful thinking, thinking is not the hope the Bible talks about. Secondly, the kind of hope, when I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, it, it's not a hope for most of us directed in God. It's, it's not directed towards Him. It's, it's, it doesn't have the object of God. And so hope without God as the one we're hoping in really is meaningless. So today we're going to look a little more closely at biblical hope. The word hope in the English Standard Version, which is what we're using lately here, the little ESV you see for the translation, occurs 84 times in the Old Testament, 81 times in the New Testament, so it's used 165 times in the Bible. And so it's pretty common. Not as common as faith and love, but hope is right up there uh, in the Bible. One of my favorite verses which talks about hope is Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so in this verse, we see that our hope, our hope for the future is a gift from God. He wants to give us a future and a hope. And so that hope is based on what? It's, it's based on God's plans for us. God has plans for you. God has plans for your life. Those plans were in existence before you were created, before you were born. And those plans are, are good plans. It's plans to give you a future that's good, not, not something for evil. Now, why is hope so important? Look at Psalm 42.5. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. And so in this verse, the psalmist appears, I would say, depressed, right? I'm cast down. I'm in turmoil. My soul is in turmoil. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm worried. And what is the remedy? The remedy is to choose hope. Hope in what? Hope in God. The expectation of that hope is that in the future, God is going to move and he will again praise God who is his salvation. And so the opposite of being, uh, having hope is being hopeless, being depressed, being stressed. And God wants us to have hope, to give us hope even when we go through difficult situations. Let's see what Proverbs has to say about hope. And of course, we looked at three examples here today out of 165. So we're just scratching the surface. But Proverbs 10.28 says, The hope... Of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. And so the hope of the believer is hope that's one day going
going to be fulfilled. And God brings joy in our life, not only when the hope is fulfilled, but in anticipation and expectation of it being fulfilled in the future. And so hope brings joy into our lives. The expectation of the wicked is not rooted in God. The things they hope for, the things that they expect, are not going to come to pass. They're going to perish. The good things that they long for, as well as the wicked, will perish. And so in this new message series, we're going to see how Jesus offers hope to the people that he encounters. And so today my message is entitled, Facing Failure. Facing Failure. So everyone encounters failure at different times in their lives because we're human. Sin, by definition, is a failure. Sin is a failure to obey God. Sin is a failure to follow God's plan for our life. And so God desires us to rebound from the guilt and shame of sin, which we all know is a failure, to serving Him once again. Now, at other times, we may, we may face seeming failure because of a hope that hasn't materialized in the way that we expected we hope for something to happen and it doesn't seem to be happening and we feel like we're a failure. And today we're going to look at a passage from John chapter 21 about a failure of the disciples uh, in their occupation of fishing. Perhaps you've had failures in fishing as well. I don't know, I'm not a fisherman, but it happens to all of us if we are fishermen. And then we're going to look at how Jesus ex addresses a personal failure of Peter. And so whether you feel like you've failed recently, or perhaps you have a fear of failing in the future, God wants to encourage us this morning. And so the first principle that God desires to teach us is that without Jesus, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. So let's set the scene for this passage in John chapter 21. Jesus has been crucified, uh, buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. This has just happened in the recent past, in the past week or so. He's appeared several times to his disciples, but they are having trouble processing everything that's happened. He seems to appear and then disappear. And they don't know when he's going to be there and when he's not. They don't really understand what's going to happen in their futures. They'd given everything to following him for three years. And now he's kind of there and he's kind of not there and everything's changed. And they don't know really what they're supposed to do yet. So our story begins in... Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now the occupation of a number of the disciples was fishing. They were professional fishermen, and so Peter gets some of the others to go fishing with him. Now this was most likely not just fishing for fun, it, it was fishing to support themselves and their families, their relatives. I mean, fish, you can eat fish, you can sell fish. Uh, that's how people made their living. And so these are professional fishermen. Not all the disciples were, but some of them were. And they fished all night. Now, no, that's a normal thing. They normally fished at night. Fishing was better at night than during the day because the fish can't see the nets. They, caught, they fished with nets. And so when you fish with nets, it's best to fish at night but they caught no fish at all. It seemed like a failure. They spent all this time, and of course, fishing with nets is, you know, throwing the net in, pulling it in, nothing there, throwing it in again. It's a little different than just leaving your lure in the water. It's a lot of work. And so it looked like a failure. It most likely felt like a failure to the disciples. 
what else could go wrong? And then they noticed, standing on the shore, a person. They didn't know who it was. Now, we'll find out. The next verse, it was Jesus. So, verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. Now, when you've just failed, you really don't like somebody drawing attention to your failure. They knew they had no fish. So, this guy is saying, Do you have any fish? And I'm sure... Uh, it wasn't a happy no that they responded. It was a glum no that we haven't caught anything. And it's interesting that Jesus addresses them as children. I, I, as I was reading the passage, I thought, that's a little strange. I, I don't remember him dressing the disciples as children before. And I looked, and this is really the only time he ever does. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus directly addresses the disciples as, as children. I believe he was about to teach them something important. As a parent or a father would teach a children, Jesus was going, a child, Jesus was going to teach them as children. And so Jesus told them in verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And so the disciples, in their own efforts, they worked all night. They caught nothing at all. And now Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. I guess they were casting on the wrong side of the boat. I don't know. Uh, cast on the right side of the boat. And you're going to. Now, I don't know if I was a disciple if I would have cast the net or said, because they didn't know it was Jesus yet. Because look, they've cast the net how many times all night? Why should they cast it one more time? But they did. And amazingly, they caught a huge number of fish. And so without Jesus working hard all night, they had failed. But as they followed his instructions, they caught this enormous catch of fish in just a few minutes. And as we read through this story, we don't have time for all the verses. We see that they knew a miracle had happened and they instinctively knew that the person on the shore was the Lord Jesus. And so without Jesus, we can do nothing. And so there are times in all of our lives when we work so hard at something, we work at it and work at it, and it seems to come up empty, and we feel like we've failed. Nothing seems to work out despite our best plans. And just like the disciples, fishing all night and catching nothing. But at those times, we need to recognize that Jesus is not far away. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. And even when we feel like we're failing, Jesus is there. He's watching us. He's right there and he has a plan. He's speaking to us and we need to listen to his instructions. He spoke to the disciples and if they had not listened, if they had not obeyed, they wouldn't have caught the large catch of fish. And as we listen to Jesus, as we follow his plans for us rather than our own plans, he's going to move us from failure in our own efforts to success with Jesus. Now oftentimes God allows us to fail. Why? To teach us not to trust in ourselves. To trust in ourselves is pride. We need to humble ourselves and submit to His plan and His wisdom. And Jesus always has a plan that will bring hope as we follow it. Now when we focus on Jesus, we can be assured that Jesus has everything that we need. And so the disciples then recognized that it was Jesus standing on the shore. And which disciple do you think dove into the water and swam to shore first? It was Peter. 
Peter dives into the water, swims to the shore. The rest of the disciples have all the hard work to do. They have to land the boat and pull all those fish uh, and pull the fish there. And says, when they got to land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus had prepared breakfast for them. He really didn't need their fish. There was already fish there. He already had the fish and the bread cooking. And, and Jesus was cooking over a charcoal fire. And as Peter climbs onto the shore and he sees that charcoal fire, undoubtedly his mind flashes back to another charcoal fire just a few days ago. Because at that charcoal fire, he had denied Jesus three times. When they, people ask him, do you know him? He said, I don't know him. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, because he did some work here, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And so Jesus had instructed his disciples where to fish. They had obeyed. They had been successful. Now he was commanding them to bring some of those fish that they had caught to him. And there's a principle here. Whenever God blesses us, he commands us to bring some of that blessing back to him as an offering. Now this net was so full of fish, it was too heavy to be brought into the boat. And so they just simply had to haul it behind the boat and haul it to shore. The net has exactly 153 fish in it. What does 153 mean? Well, people have speculated what 153 means for centuries, for thousands of years. And nobody really has come up with a convincing answer. Uh, there's all kinds of w weird things about what 153 means. Now, I'll tell you what I think it means. That means there was a lot of fish. Okay? Number one. And number two, it's a very exact number. And that's about all I know. God knows exactly what you need for his plan for your life. God knew exactly how many fish he was going to give them. And that would be sufficient for their needs. And he's going to help us get what we need. Now normally with so many fish beyond the capacity for the bout, capacity for the net, the nets would have torn. But God, in his grace, protected the net or the fish would have been lost. And so God blessed them in that as well. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And so Jesus then fed the disciples the breakfast he had prepared for them on that charcoal fire. Scripture records this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples since the resurrection. And so Jesus was the risen Lord. He's the master of fish in the sea. He knows where they were. Uh, he's the feeder of the disciples. He is meeting their every need. So without Jesus, they could do nothing. With Jesus, all things are possible. So let's look at the meaning of the story in a little more depth. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to his disciples, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Before we talk about that a little more, let's watch a short video so we can kind of visualize it called Fishers of Men. 
So a number of the disciples had been professional fishermen, but now they were going to be fishers of men. And that speaks of, as it were, catching people in a net. Jesus had parables about catching people in nets, as it were, and bringing them to Jesus. And so as believers tell other people, as they're witnesses for Jesus, they tell people about him. People put their faith in Jesus and they are, are, as it were, caught in God's net. Now for the fish, that's not so great. But for people, it's wonderful to be caught in God's net. And so this command of Jesus to follow him and to be a fisher of men, it applies to every believer. And as we follow Jesus, he is going to meet every need that we have as we are fishers of men. And we, in return, bring our blessing to him. And, and that's what we do as we are fishers of men, the people that come into the kingdom, that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, we, as it were, bring them to Jesus. They are saved and they become part of God's family. And Jesus has given us everything we need to carry out our plan or his plan. Now, the third thing we want to look at is how Jesus forgives our failures. Remember, Peter is now staring into a charcoal fire. His mind is flashing back, I'm sure, to a charcoal fire around which he denied Jesus three times just a, a few, uh, a week or so ago. And he remembered what he had said immediately before that time, how he was full of bravado, he was full of pride. And this is what he said to Jesus in Mark 14, 29. Jesus said to Jesus, even though they all, speaking of the other disciples, all fall away, I will not. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter is saying, I'm so much better than these other guys. I'm going to be with you. Jesus then immediately told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter insisted, no, I will die for you rather than deny you. And yet, as we read this story, Jesus was right. Peter was wrong. Peter did deny Jesus three times. And now, those words and the events that had happened were in both Peter's mind and Jesus' mind as well. And so Jesus, in verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And so Peter had vowed to be more loyal, to be more dedicated than Jesus, to Jesus than all the rest of the disciples, and yet he had broken that vow. And now Jesus was asking Peter, Do you really love me more than all these other disciples? You are the one that denied me three times. And Peter answered in the affirmative. He said, you know, he said, I, I do love you. You know that I love you. Now, much has been written about the Greek words for love in this exchange. Jesus used the word agape and Peter used the word phileo in this verse. Agape refers to a purposeful decision of will and phileo is a more emotional, brotherly type of love. But both words are used for love in the Gospel of John, both for God's love for us and our love towards God. And so, really, I don't believe there's anything lacking of some, some have said, and I may even have taught in the past, I don't believe there's anything lacking in Peter's response to Jesus. He's truly saying that, I love you, I, I love you deeply. And so Jesus 
asked Peter a second question. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And so Jesus asked Peter the same question a second time, but he leaves off the phrase more than these. And so Jesus is giving Peter an opportunity to reaffirm his love for him once for each time that he had denied him. And so Jesus then asked Peter the third time, verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so in Jesus' third question of Peter, he changes the Greek word for love to phileo from agape. Peter is grieved not because of Jesus' choice of words, but because it is the third time. It says right there. And so Peter again, for the third time, reaffirms his love. For Jesus, corresponding to his third denial of knowing Jesus at all. Now you notice after each of, Jesus, uh, after each of Peter's affirmation of loving Jesus, Jesus gave Peter a command. The first was, feed my lambs. The second was, tend my sheep. And the third was, feed my sheep. And what is Jesus doing here? He's saying to Peter, Peter, you are forgiven. Peter, you love me and I love you. Peter, I have a plan for your life. It's not all over. You're not a complete failure. I have something for you to do. And what I have for you to do is to be a shepherd of the flock of God. You are to feed the lambs, which are the new believers. You are to feed the sheep, which are the older believers. You are to tend or protect the sheep from danger. I have a plan and purpose for your life. Your failure is forgiven. And so in this short passage, we see, we see metaphors of what God has for us as believers to do. We, we are to be fishers of men, seeking to catch the lost and to see them saved. We're also to be shepherds of believers, for the caught fish, in a switch of metaphors, become lambs. Right? Once a fish is caught, caught in God's net, they become lambs, part of the flock of God. They need to be tended by shepherds. And Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, not only are you forgiven, but I believe in you. You are, you are to be, you will be a shepherd, the shepherd that God created you to be. You have a fresh start to follow me. Jesus was giving Peter purpose and new hope in his life. Sometimes people think that their sin is too big for God to forgive. And they feel like failures and they feel like there's no hope going forward. But we see even Peter, a disciple of Jesus for three years, he walked, he talked with Jesus. He saw miracle after miracle. He saw people raised from the dead. He saw demons cast out. And yet, in a critical time, he didn't stand by Jesus. He denied him. He even though he was warned he was going to deny him, he failed. He sinned. But God forgave. Failures come in all kinds. Some failures are due to known sin. We all fail in that way. Others, through seemingly no fault of our own, we, 
Sometimes we are troubled not by failure itself, but by fear of failure. Sometimes fear of failure paralyzes people, fills them with anxiety, fills them with stress. And so this morning, God wants to set every person here free from failure, free from fear of failure. And the simple answer is found in Jesus' last words to Peter in verse 19, which we didn't have up there, where Jesus simply says to Peter, follow me. Pete, just follow me and everything's going to be okay. Follow me and you're not going to be a failure. Follow me and you're going to be a success in life. Now, just before that, Jesus had prophesied that Peter would one day have to give his life as a witness for Jesus Christ. And yet that would bring even more people to faith in him. That was part of God's plan. So whether you failed in the past Perhaps you feel like you're failing in the present or you're concerned about the future. Jesus simply says to each one of us, follow me. That is the answer. I promise to never leave you or forsake you as you follow me, as you stick close to me. I'll give you everything you need. Follow me and you will find the hope that I have for you. And so this morning... If you're not sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or perhaps you want to recommit your life to him. Perhaps you feel like you've been drifting away, you've been following maybe some of your own plans, and you're catching nothing. Things aren't going so well with the fish that you've been planning to catch. And you want to get back on track. You want to commit your life to following Jesus once again. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads. And whether you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time or recommitting your life, it's really the same thing. Father, pray something like this in your mind. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my own plan rather than yours. I admit that I've sinned. I've failed you by sinning. Please forgive me. I I believe that you died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven, and you rose from the dead three days later, and I commit my life to following you as you command me to, to following your plan and purpose for my life. And I believe that as I do that, I won't be a failure. I will be a success. I will follow the plan that you had for me before the creation of the world. And for those of us who are believers Let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the lessons that we've learned or been reminded of this morning. There's so many things we do know, but we need to be reminded of them. Thank you for that. Without you, Jesus, we admit, we confess that we can do nothing. Forgive us for the times when we've tried to do things in our own strength. Although we can do nothing on our own with you, God, nothing is impossible. You will give us everything that we need. And this morning, we make a choice to follow you, not just when we're in trouble, but each and every day. We wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, what's your plan for me today? I want to follow you today. I want to hear your voice. I want to obey your instruction. We thank you that the plan you have for our lives is a good plan. We thank you that the plan you have for our church family is a, is a good plan. And we thank you for the hope that you bring to us. Show each one of us how to offer the hope that you have 
given us, that you've placed in our hearts to offer that hope to those around us who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name we pray.